My name's Neil, and I'm married to the wonderful Kate, who you've seen this morning. Um, together we lead this wonderful, amazing church, the Southwest London Vineyard. If you're new here, or you're visiting, uh, or you're sat with somebody who's new, or you're sat with somebody who's visiting, uh, you're very, very welcome uh, this morning. Do encourage those, uh, do connect with those who are near you, who are new or visiting, um, uh, make sure that they feel welcome. Um, one of the best things that you can do, honestly, is uh, in one of the pouches in front of you, you'll see this green Connect card. If you've never filled one of these out before, if you are new or you're visiting, fill this out. Um, give it into uh, Harry, who's doing an amazing, amazing job on the sound desk um, this morning. Uh, we're very grateful to him. Uh, give it to Harry, and uh, we'll get in touch with you. You're not signing your life away, but it is a really great way for us to let you know what's going on in the life of the church and, um, and to see if we can be of any help to you and pray for you. Today we're launching a new term of small groups, Um, and if you haven't got round to signing up to a small group, there's no time like uh, the present on a uh, present uh, on a chair near you. uh, You'll see one of these beautifully designed by James Small Group brochures, which shows all of the small groups that are going on in and around the church over this uh, coming term. There's a whole load of things. There's something for everybody in there, both for those part of the church and for those who you know who are not yet part of the church uh, things like running clubs there's things from running clubs to cooking clubs uh, from sozo as we've just heard about to sunday lunches uh, from parenting children to weekend walks there's healing on the streets in putney and in new malden for the plucky and there's uh, what pram for the pregnant there is uh, something for everybody there's a whole host of other things besides, including the usual mix of house groups and prayer groups and everything else. And so whether you're new here or whether you've been here for 20 years or more, being in a small group is a fundamental component of what it means to be part of this church, Southwest London Vineyard. Because, you see, there are lots of things that we can do gathered here on a Sunday like this. There are lots of things that we can do um, by serving on teams, for example, across the church, whether that's from food bank, whether that's to vineyard kids or youth, which are happening uh, over there this morning, uh, whether that's from setup uh, to coffee. There are lots of things that we can do by um, giving our money to this, the local church that we are called to so that we can do the things that we feel that God is calling us to. There's lots of ways for us to get stuck in, essentially, to seeing God's uh, kingdom extended through what the Lord is doing both in us and through us as a local church. But one of the key ways that we demonstrate that we're, that we're part of what it is the Lord is doing here at Southwest London Vineyard, a, a key way that we effectively say, I'm in, I, I'm, I'm on the team, we're on board, uh, I'm part of this church family, is by being um, involved in, and signed up to a small group. It's by, it's by being part of a small group. We've seen this over years. This church is 30 years old this year, and over the 30 years of this church, um, we've seen it time and time again, that it's really only by being part of a small group, you know, that we not only find a place where we get to know one another much better, um, but we also find a place where we ourselves are known. It's by being part of a small group that we, we get involved in the life of 
this church as together we learn how it is in practice that we love and serve Jesus, how it is in practice that we love and serve one another, how it is in practice that we love and serve the communities around us. It's by being part of a small group that makes um, sense, if you like, of being part of this bigger group, uh, effectively our central celebration. It's being part of a small group. It's by being part of a small group that we um, explore ways that we can get involved in uh, local mission as we serve Jesus in our communities and in our places of work. It's in a small group where you're, you're going to find a place where you will be loved and cared for and pastored and nurtured. It's in a small group where you will be prayed for regularly. It's in a small group where you will be encouraged on your journey of faith. It's in a small group where you'll be challenged and stretched if you uh, allow yourself to be, as you grow in your faith and you're transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. Jesus. And um, all of it happens in the context of small groups. And so... um, here at this church, we don't mind which small group you go to. Uh, we don't allocate everyone to uh, small groups and tell you which one that you must go to. Um, the choice is all entirely yours. All that we do ask is that you get involved in a small group. Every single one of us, we should be signed up. We should be committing ourselves to being part of one of the small groups, at least uh, on this uh, floor. It's a bit like uh, those of you, you know, in families... Uh, it's a bit like supper time with the family. Think of it like that. Um, small groups are the place where we create um, a bit of space. Again, it's that Eugene Peterson thing to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty. But we interrupt our, the busyness of our schedules, the busyness of our weeks, to make time, to focus time, to devote time and energy to catch up with uh, one another, to share our lives with one one another, to encourage one another, to minister to one another as we worship the Lord together and as we seek the Lord together. So small groups, these are the places where week in, week out. And the truth is, as you think back over your small group experience, sometimes it's in the most unlikely of places. And quite often it's with the most unlikely of people. Um, But it's in that context that we actually really get to understand uh, both the theology and the practice of how the kingdom of God is extended. And how the kingdom of God is extended is what I want us to uh, look at this morning. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5, somewhere in the New Testament. And uh, we'll read, if I can. It's dark in here this morning because of the our dodgy projector. Um, we're getting it fixed. Luke chapter 5, verses um, 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was... I really need new glasses. <laughs> you, know the, you, you know when you can't actually see without glasses, and then you, know, and you discover that you can't actually see with your glasses? Um, it is... Seriously. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Lord, we thank you for uh, the scriptures. We thank you for the truths contained within the scriptures. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that we can preach the word of God freely. Uh, We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would um, open up the scriptures to us, that you would um, bring revelation, that you would bring insight, Lord, that you would speak to us, your church, through your word. Um, Lord, that you would uh, convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would um, lead us into um, all truth, all righteousness, through your holy scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I was saying uh, last week, we were looking at the, you know, the importance of studying the scriptures. One of the things I was saying last week is you know, using our senses and imagination as we study the scriptures. And this is a fantastic story where you can... Um, you know, just imagine, you can just picture the scene. You know, it's, um, it's a hot, maybe it's a hot and dusty day. There's maybe just the faintest of breezes coming across the lake. And there's this crowd, this crowd of people. And they're all sort of um, pushing and jostling. And they'll be chatting and they're waiting, um, trying to get this sort of slightly better vantage point, maybe, to see this, this, this so-called new prophet, this Jesus that everyone's been talking about. You can maybe just sort of hear the waves crashing against the shore in the background. Maybe there's this sort of faint whiff of fish, freshly caught fish on the air. And as you read this text, as I was reading it the other day, I was, I was struck by it. I just love the fact that all of these people, they're crowding around Jesus because they're wanting to hear the word of God. They're wanting to hear Jesus' teaching. So many people, as we were singing earlier on, hungry, literally just hungry to hear the word of God, hungry, thirsty, desperate for the words of Jesus to be spoken. And, and, and there are so many people, in fact, that Jesus, what he has to do, he has to get into a boat, right, because he's going to kind of get shoved into the sea, he's going to get shoved off the pier, I imagine, right, and so he has to get into this boat so that he can push out a little bit from the shore so that he can teach them from standing up in the boat. You know, and as we come to the um, end of what's been an amazing prayer week, um, it's been, we've, been, we've been doing prayer week this week, beginning of the year. Uh, and I have to say, if you, um, if you missed Monday evening's evening of prayer and worship at Putney Methodist Church, um, then you truly missed out on something amazing. We weren't many, but what God did on Monday night was profound and wonderful. And it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, to be part of. Um, and you, if you weren't there, you really missed out. Um, we have to be, first and foremost, a people of prayer. It, it's one of our greatest priorities. It has to be one of the key things that we give ourselves to, both individually and corporately. 
Um, I think Martin Luther said this. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Um, Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Do you love that? I love that. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And, um, and as we're praying, as we continue to pray, we don't just stop praying because we finish prayer week. We press on and we continue to pray. In fact, we redouble our efforts to pray even more. Um, we pray that the God would continue as you've got this great big crowd gathered on the beach by the Sea of Gennesaret. We, we pray that God would continue to send um, people here on a Sunday who are hungry and desperate and thirsty and longing to hear the word of God. Uh, people who are hungry and desperate and longing just to encounter his presence. Let's be praying that there would be so many people who have signed up to your small group. Uh, just because they're desperate to encounter the person of Jesus, just because they're desperate to hear the word of God. And it turns out, uh, against all your thinking, that there's going to be now so many of them, you're going to have to come up with another plan as to how you're going to squeeze them in to your rather small sitting room. Because in part, at least, that's what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes in power. The first thing I want to say about the kingdom is that the kingdom of God comes in power in the midst of the ordinary. The kingdom of God comes in, in power in the midst of the ordinary. Have a look at verse 4. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught a thing. Have you noticed when you read the gospel accounts, you read the accounts of Jesus, you read about the life of Jesus, and when Jesus engages with people, when Jesus interacts with people, when Jesus even performs something uh, miraculous, when the kingdom uh, of God breaks through. When you actually look at the context, it all actually seems to come about through something that on the surface seems kind of pretty innocent, pretty innocuous in actual fact. Uh, you see it with the feeding, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, very familiar miracle that we know backwards. Jesus literally just walks up to this young chap. You know, he's settling down, this little kid settling down, just going to open up his picnic basket and, 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 and have his picnic lunch. And Jesus sidles up to him and he sort of effectively says, you know, how much bread have you got? It's all pretty innocent. It's all pretty normal. It's a Sunday afternoon in the park. It's a picnic with no picnic. And out of this incredibly ordinary situation, this incredibly extraordinary Miracle happens right in front of their eyes. And 5,000 men, just men only, they only counted the men back in those days. Only 5,000 5, men were fed five, out of five loaves and two fish. We assume the women and children got fed too, as opposed to going hungry, but they weren't counted. And what happens is the kingdom comes in power. How does the kingdom of God come? How does the kingdom of God get extended? How does the kingdom of God break through? How does heaven touch earth as we sing about frequently well it happens through the everyday it happens through the ordinary it happens through dare i say it the mundane master we've heard we've worked hard all night i haven't caught a thing you see it's in the midst of peter doing his normal days nights work that the kingdom of god comes in power because the kingdom of god comes in power in the midst of our very ordinary very typical day to day lives we're out shopping. You're on the train on your way to work. You're at the school gate. Or, 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 or. It's right in the middle of our ordinary, everyday lives that we should be expecting the kingdom of God to come in power. 
That's the first thing that I want us to remember. The second thing is this. The kingdom of God comes in power when we feel like we've got nothing to give. The kingdom of God comes in power when we feel like we have nothing to give. Verse 4 again. When he'd finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon says, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. See, these guys have been out on the lake all night. They haven't caught a thing. Do you ever feel like you've been out fishing all night and you haven't caught a thing? Uh, Maybe you've tried to tell your work colleagues about Jesus and nothing. Just falls on deaf ears. Um, Maybe you've tried to pray for the sick and um, all the people that you try to pray for sort of look at you and think you're crazy. They don't want to be prayed for. Um, The only ones that ever let you pray for them actually end up getting worse. You realize that actually you're a liability when it comes to praying for the sick because you're killing more people off than healing people. And I don't think that was what the text implied. So you're like, I think I should just step away from the praying for the sick. You know, you've cried out to the Lord for your kids for years. And yet they're still struggling. You've cried out. You've called out to God for a partner. And yet you remain frustratingly single. You've invited every single neighbor you've got. You've even moved house to find new neighbors. So that they can come to Alpha. Because Alpha is the solution to all man's problems. And nobody that you've invited is ever going to come to Alpha. Well, let this maybe be as a bit of an encouragement this morning. Because I think according to what we read here in the scriptures, you may, if that's any of that's you, you may very well be right on the cusp of the kingdom of God coming in power. You might be right on the very cusp of seeing an incredible miracle at your fingertips. Because there's something about a lack of success. There's something about periods of frustration and failure that Jesus uses to extend his kingdom, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of the people around us. How many times you know, do we sound like the disciples? How many times do we sound like you know, Peter? It's like, you know what, I'm tired. Jesus, really? I'm so tired. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And you know what, I just don't think this stuff works. I mean, I'm not allowed to say that because like, I'm in a church, but I don't think, I don't even know healing works. I mean, people say that it does, but like every time I pray for somebody, they don't ever get healed. I just tried it. I've tried it. I've tried it. It just, does it work? I don't know. That's really what we're saying is we've been out all night fishing Jesus. And we haven't caught a thing. We're tired. And, do you know, I, I really just want to go home and go uh, to bed because I'm sore. I need a bath. I just need to relax. Nothing's working. We've given it our best shot. Seriously, it's time to give up. It's time to hang up those nets and go and do something uh, easier. I think one of the keys to understanding these times of frustration that many of us, if we're honest, feel, uh, at least from time to time, these times when we feel like we've got nothing extra to give, there's nothing in the tank, we've been running on empty for a while, I think one of the keys is is, is, is grasping that very often what the Lord is allowing in those situations with us is he is trying to get us to move away from our self-reliance and our self 
confidence and instead actually moving uh, back to a place of um, need and dependence on him alone. You see, because faith is all about us acknowledging our lack, which we have in an abundance, and coming to that place of um, radical dependence on the Lord and um, his fullness, which he has in abundance. When we get to that place where we're feeling like, do you know what, I feel like throwing in the towel, where we feel like we're going to give up telling the people in our lives about Jesus, where we feel like we're going to give up praying for the sick, we feel like we're going to give up caring for the poor, we, um, we might just be on the brink of something miraculous. If only we can acknowledge our frustrations and learn to rely again on him. Because what comes next in the story is awesome. The kingdom of God comes in power when we're simply obedient. That's the next thing. The kingdom of God comes in power when we are simply obedient. Look at how Peter responds to his clear exhaustion and frustration. Look at how Peter responds to his weariness and his lack. Have a look at verse 5. Simon Peter answered, Master, we have worked hard all night. We haven't got a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. But because you say so, I will. This has to be one of my favorite verses in the whole of the New Testament. Because you say so, I will. This is the statement of a disciple who is so completely and utterly in love with Jesus. And through that love and through that sense of faithfulness and um, obedience, he actually gets to see firsthand the kingdom of God come in power. He's basically saying, Lord, I am tired. Lord, do you know what? I'm pretty frustrated. My back hurts. My shoulders hurt. I'm exhausted. I've been fishing all night. And you sworn in here and you want to talk to the nice crowd on the beach. You don't know what I've been doing all night. Like, you know how hard it is fishing all night. And now you want me to go out again. Yeah, awesome. Great. Great idea. For us, we say, Lord, do you know what? I've tried to read my Bible. It's impenetrable. What is so much killing and death and bloodshed in the Old Testament? How is that possible? I don't understand it, Lord. I've tried to tell people about Jesus. Nobody wants to know about Jesus. Lord, I've tried to heal the sick. No one gets better. Lord, I've tried to get people, you know, thinking about injustice. I tried. My nets literally come up empty uh, thousands and thousands of times. I'm completely exhausted. You know, if it were up to me, this is the sort of thing that I would have said, you know what, Jesus, if it were up to me right now, I would uh, row back to the shore Right now, I take my boat, chop it up into firewood, uh, set it on fire, and you know, chuck the fishing gear on the fire as well. Be done with it all. My career as a fisherman is over. I catch nothing. I'm going to go and do something different, easy. And then it comes. This we're in the midst of all of that. Right, is a remarkable demonstration of faith. He just Peter's response isn't any of that. He says, "Do you know what? Pause." Because you say so, I will. But because you say so, uh, do you know what? I, I'll, I'm going to keep trying to get to grips with the scriptures. I don't understand them. 
I find it really challenging. There's so much of it that I don't understand. But I'm going to keep trying to get to grips with it. Because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I, I will just keep telling my friends. Even though they're clearly not listening. Um, but I will keep telling them and talking to them about how much you mean to me. And I will keep telling them and talking to them about the good news of your salvation. Because you say so, I will keep praying for the sick. Whether people are healed or not. Uh, there's nothing I can do about that. And I will commit to uh, keeping on, keeping on, until I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will keep fighting for the rights of the oppressed and advocating for social and spiritual justice. Because you say so, I will. And this, this simple act of obedience that costs us everything. Sound familiar? Why is it? Why is it that we do any of the stuff around here that we do? Why is it that we do any of the things that we do around here? Why, why do we spend money and, and invest so much time and energy to um, set up church in a school uh, week in, week out? Why do we do that? Uh, why do um, people spend so much time and energy uh, prepping materials for vineyard kids and for youth? Um, why do people spend, you know, their, reorganize their schedules and their weekends so that they can get here early, so that they can set up this hall and set up vineyard kids and set up the coffee and uh, do all those kind of things, slogging their guts out, working away on a day when most sensible people are like still in bed because it's a day of rest after all why do we just um so why do so many of you just give away like your hard-earned cash you work like really really hard and then you get the money that you get and given and then you give like chunks of it away like just give it away you give some of it to the church. You give others it to other organizations. You just give your money away. Sad. Why do we go off to random... Seriously, why do we go off to random people's houses in the middle of the week to sit in other people's sitting rooms in a little circle with a guitar, singing and reading the Bible and praying for one another? Like, I don't know if you've ever realized, but some of this is like actually quite strange. It's actually odd behavior. It's awesome behavior. Faith speaks to the woman of God. You know, why do we show up at food bank or job club or anywhere else for that matter to look out for people who we don't even know? Who might actually be like not even very grateful. It's like, don't you know how sacrificial I'm being? You know, why? Why did we plant? What were we thinking? Why did we plant three churches in as many years? Why did we give away staff members and um, church members and team members and lots of money to plant churches? Why do we keep everybody in here? Why do we pray for people we don't know? Why do we care for people we don't know? Why do we do any of it? Certainly not because it's the most sensible and logical thing to do. Because so much of it isn't. Most of it, trust me, it's pretty random. It's not because we've weighed it all up and it just makes great sense. None of it really makes very much sense. All of these things are examples of simple acts of obedience 
that cost us everything. We do all of these things and more for one reason, and one reason alone, and that is because we are just trying as best we possibly know how to do what Jesus has asked us to do. All of those things and more, for right or for wrong, um, for all the weird and random reasons in the world, um, we as a church want to be, the Southwest London, we want the Southwest London Vineyard to be a church, both individually and corporately, to be a church that says we're doing whatever it is he's asked us to do. Whatever the cost. So that we can be a church that says, because you say so, I will. Lastly, the kingdom, of, the kingdom comes in power through the presence of Jesus. Kingdom of, the kingdom comes in power through the presence of Jesus. This is when it all happens. Have a look at verse 7. When they'd done so, they'd let down their nets, where Jesus told them to. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, to the other boats, come and help us, come and help us, which they came and they filled both boats. And they were full. They were so full that the boats began to sink. You see, all of our labor and all of our effort, all of, after all of our best laid plans, after all of our frustrations, after all of our disappointments, despite everything, every sinew in our body saying, do you know what, give in, throw in the towel. Coming to that place of willingness to just be obedient, to say, because you say so, I will, to let down the nets one more time. What happens? The kingdom comes in power. And how does this miracle happen? You know, um, Peter's worked hard all night, and he's proved he's no fisherman, basically. Like, or not on this night, anyway. He's worked hard all night. He's been fishing all night. He hasn't caught a thing. He, you know, he's maybe yanked out some seaweed and some spare tires. Probably not many spare tires in ancient Palestine. Um, some chariot, chariot wheels, I don't know. Right? So um, that's all he's caught. Okay, so he's proved his worth. Um, and yet this time, suddenly, surprise, when they throw the net in where Jesus tells them to throw the net in, they get so many fish that their boats begin to sink. Do you know what? I sometimes wonder whether um, we shoulder more of the responsibility of seeing the kingdom come in power than actually we're supposed to. Um, one of the reasons I think it can be really difficult to get people... Um, to pray for someone at work uh, or to get someone to share their faith is because most of us, if we're honest, um, we secretly believe that the success of every encounter, every witnessing opportunity rests entirely on us and my eloquence and my ability. You know, well, if I'm going to say something about Jesus, you know, I have to find exactly and precisely the right moment to speak. It has to be absolutely the opportune moment. I think that was it. Oh, I missed it. Oh, never mind. I'll wait for the next precisely wonderful moment, which is in three years' time. I don't think this is it. I'm not sure this is it. I'm not sure this is it. I'll keep biding my time. I'm praying in the meantime. You know, uh, and then I, I, I add some extra pressure to myself. It's like I, I've got to word what I'm going to say perfectly. What will I say? And I'll say this. No, no, no. I won't say that. How does this sound? I think I should rephrase this slightly. If I start with this, maybe I should start with a joke. Uh, um, you know, it's got to be clever. It's got to be persuasive. Uh, I don't want to come across as a total lunatic. I don't want to come across as a lunatic, lunatic at all. I certainly wouldn't want to say anything that would turn anybody off. Jesus, 
Um, I, I, I don't want them to feel condemned. Uh, I, I have to remember all of the arguments. I have to swat up on the 20 questions, uh, the top 10, 20 questions uh, against Christianity so that I've got answers to everything. And we add all of these things on and it becomes this huge pressure. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 I'll leave this to somebody else. Before I pray for them to be healed, I have to remember that I've just got to get all my theology sorted out. Like, uh, Neil was talking something about nows and nots, yets, not yets, and nows, and I wasn't really listening. I was doing my shopping on my phone. I wish I paid more attention because I don't really know what that now and not yet stuff means. Uh, I'm supposed to pray for people, but uh, I don't really know I've got the theology for it. Have I got to come up with some kind of get out of jail card free so if they're not healed or when they're not healed, I know exactly what to say. And it's like, well, it's all, it's all in God's will. Don't worry. Bless you, brother. Um, what are we going to And It's like, oh, there's too much pressure. Um, before I invite them to church or to, to, to a small group, we add the pressure on them. So it's like, well, I need to go ahead um, and check. That church is going to be okay, that ch- church is going to be kosher, um, that there aren't going to be any weird people there. Uh, so that's not going to work. I mean, uh, and I went one week, and there didn't seem to be too many weird people, but that might have been an off week, so I'll go for another week in case they're proper, like they have weird people every third week or something, I don't know. And what happens is we go like, to church for 10 years. Because we're establishing whether the church is actually kosher and safe place for our friends. And we do the same with um, small group. We worry about bringing our friends to church in case, you know, I get up and talk and say something controversial. Um, something that's going to offend somebody, probably. I mean, you know, um, most of Christianity is pretty controversial. Most of it's pretty offensive. So kind of half of the course, really. Um, so we kind of say to ourselves, you know what, maybe I'll just not invite them. Just too much responsibility, too much stress. No wonder we don't share our faith. No wonder I need to hurry. No wonder we don't share our faith. No wonder we don't pray for the sick. No wonder we don't invite people to church on a Sunday or to a small group. If every time we think about doing any one of those things, it feels like we're taking a final exams in quantum physics. Yeah, um, it's no wonder we don't want to do it. If we're placing some incredible burden on ourselves for the success of every conversation, for the outcome of every encounter. It's no wonder that we want to give up. Who wants to be taking their finals every single flipping day? I don't. There's far too much pressure. Who wants, um, who wants to be tested all the time and feel like you're not quite making the grade and feeling like that, all of that sense of responsibility, that the weight and the burden, it's all on me, it's all on us. What if any of these things... Talking about Jesus, praying for the sick, inviting someone to church, inviting someone to a small group. What if it weren't actually supposed to be like taking an exam? What if we didn't have to find exactly the right moment or uh, say precisely the right thing or uh, do it in the most persuasive way? Never sound like a lunatic. Always have all of the answers ready, dialed up in your brain just at the right moment. What if these things were simply a matter for us Having a conversation, like a normal conversation, you know, with somebody else. Just about the friendship that we have with Jesus. Just about what Jesus has done for us. Just in the same way that we talk to people all the time about our spouses or our kids or our jobs or our roommates or our girlfriends or our boyfriends or whoever. What? What if when a need arose? 
you know, there's somebody that's in need of help. What if we just simply said, you know what, do you know what my only job right now is to simply talk about what Jesus has done in my life and leave the rest to Jesus, actually. What if all I had to do was say, do you know what, hey, I'm going to this, I'm going to this thing. Like, uh, some people in my church are running, and they're all getting together for breakfast or something, or they're all going out for drinks on Friday night, and um, there'll be a whole bunch of people. Do, do you want to come? Or, you know, you meet somebody who's pregnant, and you say, ah, oh, you're pregnant, that's amazing, that's fantastic, congratulations. Do you know what, uh, my church runs this thing called What Pram. I don't know what it's like. I can come with you. I'm not pregnant, but I can come with you if you want, if that helps, right, um, to support you so that you don't feel like you're kind of on your own. You're with someone who says that they're sick or they've got a backache or whatever it is. You just say, you know, I, I don't know, excuse me, like it, sound, it might sound a bit strange, but would you mind if I prayed for you? I've decided that this year, Kate and I have been talking about this, um, I'm going to try and save up all the five-pound notes that we get, right? which is a vast quantity, thousands of pounds. Um, save up all the five-pound notes that we get and uh, so that when we, um, when we get them, they keep them in our wallet, so that when we're out and about, we can just kind of give them away. Right? And I had uh, one in my wallet the other day, and so I gave it to the chap who sells the big issue outside Waitrose in uh, Isheen. And we got chatting, and um, it turned out he was struggling with a bad back. And um, I, I really wasn't feeling it at all, um, at all, I promise you. Um, but I kind of said under my breath, you know, can I pray for you? Uh. And, um, and he did that usual sort of thing of thinking that I was going to go off, you know, and pray for him. Um, this happens to me a lot. So, I, um, uh, so he looked a bit surprised when I asked if I could put my hand on his back, um, as is my want. So I did. And then we were in that slightly odd... Um, semi-embrace outside Waitrose where, <laughs> where I kind of got my I got my hand in his lower back and so therefore we're standing quite close together and he's just staring at me uh, in that way that um, people that you're praying for who don't necessarily know Jesus do uh, so we sort of looked like we you know could have <laughs> sort of done this uh, we didn't um, Often what happens, I was saying this to Pete the other day, but often what happens when I'm praying for people outside the church who don't know how to behave and close their eyes like good Christian people and they just stare at you, I usually close my eyes because I'm too intimidated by them. Um, but there you go. So uh, anyway, there was doing this thing, you know, and um, uh, he was just staring at me. And then, uh, interestingly, he said, um, is that, you know, my back's actually getting, it feels quite warm. My back feels quite warm. And it was a cold day, Right. And then he said, do you know what? It feels a little bit, it actually feels a little bit better. I was like, come on. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I nailed this prayer thing. <laughs> Yesterday, I had a great chat with a chap in a beer shop of all places. I was buying beer. And uh, we got chatting. I got chatting to this chap. Uh, I got chatting to him about his life and um, what he did and how he ended up selling beer and stuff like that. And it, um, it turns out that he... He used to work, he's worked over the last five years in places like Afghanistan in the Democratic Republic of Congo or whatever that is, the DRC, um, DMZ, something like that, whatever that place is, and um, Haiti and different places like that, and uh, working with relief agencies and humanitarian aid. And we were chatting about that, and then we started chatting about um, church, and we chatted a bit about faith, we chatted a bit about humanity, um, 
we spent a bit of time chatting in the beer shop. Um, I, I, um, I didn't lead him to Jesus, um, or if I did, I didn't notice that I had. But off my result of the chap, praying for the chap outside Waitrose, anything is, is possible. Um, but I did invite him to come along here. I hope he's not here. Is he here? He's got a massive beard. Um, I did invite him to come along here. I said, like, you should come along. And he's like, yeah, I might do. So I told him where we meet. And um, we'll see where it goes. Uh, we'll probably get a bunch of people to go along to the next um, beer tasting that his shop's running in Ishing, which is uh, awesome. Um, was it uh, stressful? Not really. Uh, was it a really nice chat with a really nice chap um, in a beer shop? Yes. Um, but I'm praying that the Lord would take that chat and that he would turn it into something really powerful for the glory of the king and the kingdom. Um, what I'm saying is, um, what if all the responsibility for the outcomes of all of these things were actually on the Lord? Like it was on him. Um, see, uh, it's God's job to save. It's God's job to heal. He's the one who has to point the way to the miraculous catch of fish. Our job is like properly straightforward. With absolutely no pressure. All we've got to do is say, because you say so, I will. Where are you pointing? Okay, that's where I'll drop the nets in the water. That's kind of it. And then, oh, haul in the fish until our boat starts to sink. The punchline of the story isn't that we all stand back and say, wow, Pete, what a great fisherman. You know, he's awesome. What kind of bait are you using? You should be on one of those TV fisherman shows. You know, where do you get your nets anyway? That's not the punchline of the story. That's not... What is about the punchline of this story is, wow, what an awesome God. What an incredible Savior Jesus is. And that's what Peter says. You know, he says, um, when Peter saw this, he said, uh, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. Kingdom of God is all about Jesus. It's not about your ability. It's not about my ability. It's not about our ability. It's not about us. It is all about him. Um, Peter didn't have weeks of preparation or training before he cast his net and this miracle was wrought in his life. He literally just obeyed the Lord and let down his nets one more time. And that's how the kingdom came in power. The kingdom comes in power in the midst of the ordinary. The kingdom comes in power when we, have, we feel like we've got nothing to give. The kingdom comes in power when we are simply obedient. The kingdom comes in power through the presence of Jesus. And I think this morning, the Lord wants to encourage us as a church at the start of the new year to um, put out into deep water as a church and to let down our nets for a catch. And lots of us are tired. I, I get that. Um, lots of us are frustrated I recognize that too lots of us are weary uh, we see that some of us um, feel just that little bit too ordinary uh, some of us feel like we don't have anything to give all the Lord is asking of us as a church as individuals is for a simple act of obedience whereby we say because you say so I will and in and through the presence of Jesus, whose presence fills this place, whose presence and glory rests on every single one of us, we will see the kingdom come in power. We will see the kingdom come in power. So this year, let's put our nets out into deep water. Let's let the nets, uh, our boats out into deep water. Let's let down the nets.
for a catch. This year, let's be a church looking for those moments to share our lives, um, the, our lives and our life with Jesus with our friends. Let's look for those moments to pray for the people that we meet who are sick. Let's invite the people we know and the people that we meet to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, to come to our small groups, to come to church on Sunday. Uh, a great way to introduce them to the life of Jesus. Let's make some space in our lives for the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, to bring his kingdom in power. Let's be a church that this year says, because you say so, I will. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.